Despite my love for OU football, I've never been super interested in the pre-Bob Stoops years. After all, why should I be? I wasn't alive for a vast majority of it. The 90s were the lost decade. And up until relatively recently, college football on the field really was defined by three yards in a cloud of dust. Out of maybe a bit of boredom, excitement for the upcoming season, and a lack of compelling football to rewatch from 2020, I decided to broaden my horizons a little bit this past weekend. It didn't take too much digging for my interest to be piqued. OU opened their 1985 national championship season on September 28th at the Metrodome in Minneapolis against the Minnesota Golden Gophers, who just so happened to be my alma mater. I knew the Sooners had played the Gophers before. I even knew they'd played in the Metrodome before. But up until this past weekend, I had no idea that's how the 1985 season kicked off. So, naturally, I immediately went to YouTube to find the game, and I ended up watching the entire thing. Can you guess what I ended up doing the rest of the weekend? I am happy to say that I have now watched the entirety of the 1985 season, or at least all of it that is available on the interwebs, and... I have some thoughts, to say the least. First, how bizarre is it to see Troy Aikman as the starting quarterback, knowing what he turns into at UCLA and later as a member of the Cowboys? How did the fan base feel about Troy Aikman in his first three and a half games as QB1? Was it controversial? Were people calling for him to be benched? Perhaps my eyes deceive me, or I'm just not used to that bygone era of football. But Aikman was quite bad for the Sooners before he was lost for the season in Game 4 versus Miami. OU was only able to score more than 14 points once with him as the signal caller, and it was against a lowly Kansas State team that finished that season 1-10. Of course, Jamel Holloway would come off the bench to replace an injured Aikman, and the rest is history. Some more random bullet point thoughts after my rewatch. By my eyes, Tony Casillas was by far the best player on this team. He was constantly blowing plays up in the backfield and being double and triple teamed persistently because of it. He outshined Brian Bosworth in every way. And I think this was before Bosworth truly was the Boz. But was it known and accepted amongst the fan base that Tony Casillas clearly anchored that defense? It truly was unfortunate that he was injured for the Miami game and did not play. Speaking of Miami, I had no idea that a freshman Michael Irvin absolutely owned OU's lunch in that game. Go back and watch some of it. It's clear that OU's DBs didn't see anything like him or his Miami teammates anywhere else during the 85 season. After the Miami loss, OU didn't give up more than 14 points the rest of the season. That includes a six-game run where they allowed 3.8 points per game. 3.8. They truly were dominant. I'm talking Alabama versus the Citadel level of dominance. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, that's not something OU fans are likely to ever see again. Oh, never mind. The 1986 team had a five-game stretch with four shutouts, and they only allowed three points in the other game. (laughs) Jamel Holloway was really fun to watch. He's every bit as elusive as the best runners in the game today, and that surprised me. Holloway and fullback Lydell Carr paced the Sooners' offense. They by far touched it the most. But I really felt OU's skill talent was not particularly served well by their brand of offense. Watching it back, it was clear to me that Keith Jackson and Derek Shepard were their best offensive players, but they just never threw the ball. Combined, Jackson and Shepard touched the ball on offense only 30 times the entire season. I understand that was a different era, 
But Keith Jackson was so far and away the best offensive player on the field in every game I watched, and they just never did anything with him. However, the bomb from Holloway to Jackson in the Orange Bowl versus Penn State, where they won the national championship, is absolutely filthy. Go to YouTube and watch that sucker on repeat over and over again. If OU has anybody like Keith Jackson on their roster this season that we don't know about yet, please throw him the ball on literally every play. No one will be able to stop it. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. So earlier today, I was texting with Grant, and I was telling him that I wouldn't have a whole lot of prep time for this episode because I was down in Norman again for practice this morning. And then Lincoln Riley and some of his assistant coaches talked today at 1145. So I knew that I wouldn't be getting back to Oklahoma City around 2 o'clock or so, and I do some things back at the office at News 9. I get some of the video into the system, and I label some clips so I know how to find everything quickly. So I knew I wouldn't be getting back to my place you know, until like around three-ish or so. We always record around four. Anyways, I'm texting Grant trying to get him to start working on the, the rundown. And he's like, hey, uh, I think it's about time we start doing some preview episodes. And that's when everything got super real for this podcast host. Because right now, we're less than three weeks away from Oklahoma football. So for today... No preview episode, just to kind of grab bag of topics, but I do have some sound to play from today's press conference, and we'll have some good topics. But next week is going to be our big season preview episode, and if you're new to West of Everest, you are in for a treat because we will make so many predictions and have so many hot takes about Oklahoma football <laughs> and the rest of college football. It's going to be fun. And so, again, that's next week. Probably about time to start researching and prepping for that podcast so I don't sound like a complete idiot. And with that, let's bring back Grant after that opening take. And I was looking back at our old episodes, our old episode rundowns, and we did not do a big season preview a season ago because of all the weird COVID offseason stuff, Grant. So are you excited that we are bringing back the big season preview for 2021? I'm fired up. I'm really fired up. I mean, I'm 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 watching I'm watching college football from the '80s. I'm so fired up. Um, yeah, no, I I'm excited for the for the season preview. Um, last season with with COVID and everything, I mean, that was that was a dark cloud over everything. It was a lot harder to to read about teams going into the season because you had no idea who was going to play or even if they were going to have a season. Um, and so everything was just sort of a reminder of the dark cloud over everything. And this year, that's just that's not the case at all. Uh, I feel like the I feel like there is like a, there, I feel like in the national media, there's kind of some pent up excitement there too. Just be, I've 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 seen a lot of people um, convey some excitement about the college football season coming coming up here, and why shouldn't they? I mean, it's it, there's going to be full crowds. Uh, I think in a lot of ways, for a lot of people, it's it's going to feel like maybe the first time that we're actually back. To, to some sort of semblance and I know MLB has had full crowds for a while now uh, but this is you know this is the second most popular sport in this country and we're gonna have full crowds here in I mean geez the first they the first week week zero is actually less than two weeks away I know Nebraska plays their first game uh, not this upcoming weekend but next weekend and speaking of those big 10 schools it's gonna feel like they're finally back because none of those schools could ever have crowds a season ago so it's going to be a brand new thing for them and not brand new but it's going to feel new to a lot of people especially it's going to be brand new for true like true freshmen from last year yes yeah exactly uh by the way this is a 
a cool coincidence. Next week's episode, our big season preview episode. And by the way, it, it'll be going over all of OU, all of our season predictions, all of college football. And then the week after that, game week, then we'll talk more about Tulane. So it'll make a lot more sense as we get there. But by coincidence, next week's episode will be episode number 200 for West of Everest. So that'll be fitting that our big season preview comes at episode 200. So we anticipate all of you out there sending us uh, presents, you know, maybe cakes. Uh, I'm not into pie, so don't, don't chip a pie. But uh, yeah, I know, like a, you know, uh, commem- uh, commemorative, commemorative. I was, I was going to say a commem- like a, like a, like a commemorative. I can't say it. Never mind. I'm trying to say commem- commemorative. I'm trying to say Camaro after that, but I can't. It's just absolutely driving me insane. You want someone to send us a commemorative Camaro as in a car? Yeah, I was trying to go for like the alliteration there. Um, clearly didn't work out. That's, that's a it's word I'm going to have to go ahead and just strike from, uh, from, my, <laughs> from my vocabulary for this. All right, so Tuesday morning practice once again was allowed to be open to us in the media for eh, about 20 minutes I was there and you know what I wrote some notes down this time I actually had a little bit of time believe it or not to get my thoughts together and so here's what I took away from practice I spent all of my time this morning on the offensive side of the fence Uh, they split practice up into two different fields divided by a fence and the offense is on one, the defense is on the other. And so since Steve McGeehee from News 9 was also out there shooting video, he went to the defensive side. I saw him over there, so I thought, okay, I'm going to stay on offense and get as many guys that we don't have video of as I can. All right, and you know, last week we talked about like, how, like, what do I take away from just going out there? Because everyone kind of looked the way I thought they looked. There wasn't any sort of crazy big plays because they're just doing drills and they're stretching. It's, it's nothing special. So I kind of thought, all right, well, I'll just do what you said. Most people do on these is just look at the size of different players and just, yeah. And I guess that's what stood out because this time I actually did see Austin Stogner and I did see Braden Willis because I wanted to see Stogner. I missed him last time. I missed Willis last time. And believe it or not, Grant, I hope you're sitting down. I, I think you are. I see you on video. Braden Willis is still absolutely jacked up. I mean, the guy is just massive he wears number nine now by the way and and i knew that going in or at least i had i had noticed it but then i i had kind of forgotten as i was shooting and so when i saw number nine out there i was taken aback and wondering who this gigantic man was and then it clicked that because he was with the tight ends like oh yeah that's Braden willis so basically he just really needs to stay healthy this year because he's a super intimidating looking person out there for a tight end and he was moving just fine today, so it looks like everything is great so far for Braden Willis. So that's my first takeaway. In the show rundown today, I actually put a little blurb about Braden Willis, and it says he looks like a Greek god with his short shorts at practice. That's, you know, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but can I just mention one time here? That's one trend from the '80s brought back that absolutely works. The super short shorts, like on the on the athletes, that looks way better than the baggy shorts. I don't know. I don't know why I just thought of that now, but that's just me. Yeah, I agree. And it's hilarious when you look back at pictures from the NBA and college players from, I mean, man, not even that long ago, maybe 10 years ago, Blake Griffin at OU era. And it's hilarious how baggy and long the shorts are. It's almost like they're Capri pants. 
And at the time, you know, we're in the moment, we're living life and didn't even notice it, didn't even think twice about it. That's just the way it was. Uh, but I will say this about short cropped shorts and pants. Like, have you noticed these pictures where they're just letting, I guess it's cool. You can just like take scissors and cut your football pants to where there's no knee pads and they wear them like shorts now. Have you noticed that in these pictures they send out? It's like they're wearing football pants, but they just cut them like they're jean shorts and they're cutting or like they're jeans and they're cutting them into jean shorts. And so there's no there's no knee pads. And it's obviously they're doing it to look cool. But I just think it's interesting that apparently it's like Oklahoma's just fine with these guys just cutting up their football pants and making them into like a fashion statement. Hey, they're just trying to be pro player, man. Trying to be pro player. It's totally pro. Remember, player. uh. Remember a handful of years ago when the NCAA outlawed the crop top for whatever reason because Ezekiel Elliott just looked too good in it? What a yeah, bunch of fun Ezekiel. suckers. Yeah. yeah, now Ezekiel Elliott, if you watch the first episode of Hard Knocks, is going the complete other direction. He's wearing hoodies under his practice. Oh, uh, I almost had a panic stuff, attack yeah. when I was watching that. I have no he's in he's in Texas. In no, August. no, no. They're no remember no, they're in uh, they're in California. Wait, they they are? Yeah, that's where Oxnard is. It's in California. I had no idea that was a thing. You think they're going to be doing today. training camp in Texas? That's crazy, man. It's too hot. It's too hot. I guess I guess maybe Houston does though, the Texans. I guess whatever they did hard knock, they they were down in All right, so I guess Houston does it, but uh yeah, they're in uh, they're in Oxnard, California. So the weather there is pretty pleasant. So a, a hoodie is not crazy. Uh, anyways, man, that, that kind of went off into the, the ditch there for a second. I, I have more takeaways from, from big people at practice. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Austin Stogner, he looked like Austin Stogner to me moving just fine. Like he didn't seem like he was any better or any worse than what I remember him looking like before he was injured in 2020. He just, he looked like the same Austin Stogner pre-injury, uh, his, you know, his legs, nothing on them, looks good, walking around fine. And if we're talking about football players' legs, which I'm a big fan of, you know, why not? Uh, Jaden Hazelwood, again, just to confirm, still no brace on that, uh, on that knee of his. We all knew that, just going to confirm it as of today. Still no brace, so Jaden Hazelwood, Austin Stogner, moving around unimpeded. And we'll stay in the, the lane of the pass catchers here. Talked about Mike Woods a little bit in the last episode. He looks a lot bigger to me than 6'1", 198. He looks like a bigger, like, I'd guess like six, at least 6'2", if not 6'3". And I don't know if it's just his pads or just his, but he looks a lot bigger than that. And I'm curious to see how long he's going to play, like if he's going to play bigger than he really is. And everyone's saying all these positive things about him, like he's a bully out there. He goes up and gets the ball. He's strong. So certainly excited to see where he's at. And we all anticipate him in, immediately contributing you know right away yeah i mean i think it's at this point i think it's he's definitely i think going to be one of their top three or four guys um wouldn't be surprised i i think he's he's gonna he's gonna walk out there with the starters first play against tulane would be my guess i know you want to talk a little bit about mike woods on the podcast Do you want to get that out of the way I, right you know now? i didn't no i guess i, I just I, I put him on there just because he'd been getting a little bit more love kind of from the podcast circuit and other sooner areas this week <laughs> Um, because I mean, everyone's seen him. He, he does. I mean, he, he's yoked up. I mean, he looks physically, he looks great. He's got the highlights at Arkansas to kind of match the, the physique as well. I think people are just excited. Um, this, this ain't, this isn't Jeff Bidette. I, this guy I think is going to be much more of a, and Bidette was fine, 
But this guy is, I, I think he's going to be much more of a, of a player for OU. And I guess I just put that on there just in case because I knew you were at practice today if he did anything or if he stood out to you in any sort of way. But you already kind of covered that. Yeah, I mean, he just he looks like he's one of the dudes. Like he's one of the guys that's going through all the same drills as everybody else. Like he's been on the team for longer than whatever it is, four months. Not even that, maybe three, three plus. Uh, but speaking of guys that have been on the team for not much time, I did see Trey Bradford out there today and the the transfer running back from LSU and I missed him at first early on in practice so I didn't see him going through drills and running and cutting if he was doing that so I just kind of mostly saw him standing around with his helmet off kind of like whenever you put your helmet up above but like not totally off and he was kind of just standing around the group while other people were doing doing drills so it made me kind of wonder I guess like was he not going through drills or did I just I totally missed him I don't know that's my that's my bad for not knowing that officially but I will comment on the way he looked. <laughs> He's listed at 5'11". He looks bigger than 5'11". He's listed at 5'11", 210. And he's, he just seemed taller to me than 5'11". And I, maybe I'm getting shorter. Am I shrinking? Or is maybe the practice field up like on a crest and they're all out there and they're actually like a couple inches higher than me down? I don't know. It, like, but it makes me... <laughs> I feel like everybody out there looks taller than they, they should be. Uh, and I do have more thoughts on Bradford, or at least uh, I, I have some thoughts on Bradford from DeMarco Murray. We can play a little bit later in the show. Got some sound from him. Uh, those are all my takeaways from the 20-ish minutes of practice we went to. And again, I only watched the offense, didn't see any of the defense just because of I had a camera and I had two people out there and I didn't want to waste time in case I was double shooting things that Steve had already shot. I'm sure there was probably just a bunch of people just trying to get uh, trying to get a look at Danny Stutzman, huh, on the defensive side of the ball. So you didn't want to didn't want to go over there with the with the crowd. Well, I I did. It just I, I knew that I knew Steve was going to be over there doing that. So I stayed on offense. And I, I've been trying to get video of Austin Stogner because I'm working on the story on Austin Stogner, and they don't give us a lot of time to shoot video. So I was like, ah, I'm going to use this time to try to get as much video of Stogner as possible. So there we are. Uh, so after practice, a little bit later, around 11.45, Lincoln Riley spoke for the first time. I believe it's for the first time since, since Oklahoma Media Day, since fall camp even began. So this is the first time that he talked. And, okay, I'm going to sound really dumb here. I know they scrimmaged on Sunday. I believe it was Sunday night. I don't know if that was their first scrimmage. I think it was. Do you know, Grant? Or am I just setting you up to fail I here? have no idea. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if they've had, you know, like situational stuff. But that was... I think when they talk about scrimmages, they actually like kind of try to make it sort of like a game day routine. So I think that was the first one of those that they've done. And yeah, it, they went under the lights. They did it obviously at night. I guess they've normally been practicing during the day a lot. And so, you know, Riley was asked about how it went. And I'm getting my log out here to look at it. Uh, you know, not surprisingly, he used a lot of coach speak. He said it was competitive. The offense started really quick. The defense responded in the latter half of the scrimmage. And he said that camp has kind of been each side trading shots here and there. So, again, a lot of coach speak. I did grab a part of Riley's comment that where he got into a little bit more specifics about what he saw. But, of course, no specifics on players and whatnot. But at least this paints a little bit of a picture of what happened. And I'll play that for you now. There were some really nice big plays on both sides of the ball. Um, there was a lot of a lot of explosive plays offensively and a lot of explosive plays defensively. Uh, wasn't any turnovers in the scrimmage. Uh, a lot of sacks. I think there was uh, 
think the defense had six or seven sacks. Um, again, offense had, especially early in the scrimmage, had a number of explosive plays. So a lot of good, a lot of correct. Uh, we also got a lot of great special teams uh, live work as well. I mean, can you believe that? Zero turnovers. Is this speed D even going to be good? They can't turn the ball over once. This is ridiculous. I don't care about the six or seven sacks. Get the ball Wait, out. Th- is that what he said? That was kind of muffled. It was six or seven sacks. Yeah. Yeah, he said there was no turnovers, but there's about six. There's a lot of sacks, about six to seven sacks. And they were playing full contact. So, I mean, that. they were they were battering Spencer Rattler there. He was taking hits. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's. Well, I don't know. It's. um. What what you true. want out of what you want out of preseason scrimmages, right? You want you want both sides of the ball throwing haymakers and winning their share of the battles. That's what you want. Um, I remember I remember hearing I can't remember if it was Joe Burrow who said this or if it was like Jamar or one of his receivers from LSU. And let me preface this: I'm in no way suggesting that OU is 2019 LSU at all. Uh, but I do recall either Burrow or one of his receivers saying at the end of the season, yeah, we all kind of figured we would be really good, you know, while we were going through fall camp because the defense and the offense like would go back and forth and nobody would ever get like the hit, like uh, no one would ever sort of like get the better of each. And they were just throwing haymakers at each other the entire like camp. And uh, I don't know, that sort of stuck out to me. Um, Cause right. I mean, if you heard, Oh gosh, yeah. The offense just marched down the field, ton of explosive plays, scored a lot. Right? You'd kind of be like, eh, that doesn't sound good. Doesn't sound great. <laughs> um, and then, I don't know, the six or seven sacks doesn't sound great. I mean, that's awesome. I hope that's just because the defensive line is so amazing. Um, I just honestly, I hope, I hope those didn't come against the first teamers, but I'm sure some of them did. But also, it's a scrimmage. They're all on the same team. The chances that we're looking way too deep into this are about a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean we got to grab on and and just pull whatever we have uh, at this point since because they're not going to. I mean, yeah, Riley's not going to give us anything. They're not going to give us anything. No, I mean we know we, that. And <laughs> we've been through whatever. that. Uh, we, yeah, yeah, we've been through that dance already. I think I, I feels like uh, the first three years of our podcast. I feel like that was kind of us. That was a uh, that was a tradition for us. In uh, in fall camp, just just kind of ripping the coaching staff for the the little access and the little information. Uh, I'm just kind of used to that now. That's going to be a thing as long as Lincoln Riley's at OU. Yeah, it's it's whatever. It's sports. Fine. It, Oklahoma can get away with it to some extent because Oklahoma is really good and they win a lot of games and we're going to be there. And that's just the way it is. And again, it's sports. It'd be one thing if this was a, I don't know, a, like we were trying to hold a, you know accountable a, a political leader or something or somebody with influence over a bunch of other people that are that voted I don't know something like that but that's not what this is this is this is sports this is us just trying to cover a football team and that's fine uh, but I know it is kind of annoying I know a lot of the people in the media aren't aren't cool with it especially whenever you see other teams other schools providing a lot more access than Oklahoma but all I have is Oklahoma and Texas A&M his experience is where Kevin Sumlin's Texas A&M and Kevin Sumlin was pretty similar he would open up practice twice per fall camp and let you shoot for 15-20 minutes and they'd have availabilities kind of like OU's had and that's that's kind of it so I guess I A&M was very similar to the way Lincoln Riley does it Kevin Sumlin was the same so I guess when I got here I you know 
I wasn't surprised by the way things are, are going. I guess it's just those who have covered the team for a long time and early stages of Bob Stoops, I guess it was a lot different. There's a lot more access, so over time it's just changed. So if you're somebody that's covered the team quite a bit, like a John Hoover or James Hale, Kerry Murdoch, I'm sure I'm leaving out plenty of people who have been covering the team for a long time. When you see it one way, you know, years and years ago, and then it's changed so much, I'm sure that can be pretty annoying. All right, I'll get out of that uh, that annoying, probably inside baseball stuff that you guys don't care about. I, I have a list of, you know, so, okay, so Lincoln Riley talked, Brian Odom talked, DeMarco Murray talked, and Roy Manning talked. And so I kind of wrote down everything that I found to be interesting from each, each coach. And so the next thing I have for Lincoln Riley is that he was asked generally about position groups that are standing out to him. And I mean, he was, it was a, he could kind of go either any direction with this question. And he's not surprisingly said that the depth on the defensive line is impressive. It's like, okay, duh, we know that. Uh, but the one thing that kind of got my attention was that Riley said that, quote, the first group offensive line has been really solid so far in camp, end quote. Didn't go into detail about depth or anything like that there, but he just mentioned the first group O-line. And coming after a week ago, Bill Biedenboe being as happy with his offensive line as he's, as he's been maybe since we've been doing this podcast and saying that everybody in that group he could see be, be starters. I found it kind of interesting that it was just the first group offensive line and not – yeah, the first group offensive line is doing great, but hey, we also have a lot of great depth there, and we we're working guys in and out, and it's looking great all the way around. It was just the first group. And this is what's going to happen on these podcasts. We're going to dive way too deep into a sentence. But again, that's what happens on these podcasts. It makes it interesting. And so that kind of stood out a little bit to me, Grant. I know you didn't hear Lincoln Riley say that, but when I bring it up to you, does that stand out at all? Yeah, um, I guess anything where there's not consistency between the messages between the head coaches. And that's not even, that's not necessarily saying that that's inconsistent. I mean, he said the first team has been good. Um, man, I sure would like to know who's in that group. That's one of those things that we're just, we're not going to know. I, I think we all kind of have an idea of who it is, but you can't really be sure because I, I think right now, the only thing I'm sure, I, I'm sure of six guys right now in the offensive line. Um, and it's, you know, it's, what is it? Uh, Harrison, Hayes, Rame, Murray, Robinson, and uh, and Swinson. Those are the only ones that I'm kind of that I think that we know or we're going to see a lot of this year. Um, I don't know what's going on with Wanye Morris. I I, I don't at all. Um, if you've kind of been listening to the podcast circuit, like I said, or, or you know reading any more about, it seems like it seems like Tyrese Robinson at right tackle may be a full go. Like that's happening. Um. And I think that's interesting. Um, I, that's one of those things where I'll, I'll probably go. I'll probably need to go and watch his his pass starts at right tackle before I say anything definitive on it. But it's 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 pretty clear to me at this point. And I think I sort of mentioned this last week. Tyrese Robinson and especially Eric Swenson are are squarely in underrated territory now. The fan base has 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 thrown enough crap at them to the point where they are very underrated. Sure, and I just. I struggle to have any strong takes on offensive line with this group because it, you could you could tell me anybody's playing anywhere and I'll be like, all right, yeah, okay, cool. I see that because I, I'm not an expert on offensive line play and it's been really good under Bill Biedenboe. I trust he knows what he's doing and I trust that Lincoln Riley knows what he's doing. And so I suppose other people that know more about this could easily watch tape and, and they could have a lot more nuanced takes about certain guys than, than I do. I just don't. 
when I hear it goes back to whatever you know I a couple years ago a few years ago whenever you know you were like I I can't imagine Cody Ford playing tackle and I remember thinking like, why not he's a big guy he can he can play tackle why not and he played tackle and he was really good and then Bill Biedenboe last week was like yeah I, I never thought Cody Ford could play tackle but yeah he did and it was great so clear, clearly there's there's a thought process of people that know what they're talking about where it was kind of surprising that he was able to move over to tackle and in my mind it's like oh, you're a gigantic guy that's pretty athletic or somewhat athletic. Why can't you play tackle? Why can't you play every position, honestly? And that's just either my ignorance or maybe it's ignorance is bliss and they can put anybody out there and they'll find the right group and it's going to be just fine with that offensive line. But it, it didn't catch my attention when he just mentioned the first group. I mean, like I wouldn't be so like sanguine about it because, I mean, the offensive line was relative to the rest of college football the offensive line in the first half of the season last year was good it wasn't good for Oklahoma though um and you know go back to to Robinson and Swinson I think Robinson has definitely given me more reason to kind of go than Swinson has uh because I've I've just I've just seen Robinson get straight up beat a lot more than Swinson and I guess maybe I you know going back and rewatching the second half of the season I just I noticed Swinson just didn't make any mistakes, um, and that's really, really kind of heavy forethought in my mind right now. Um, is if he if if he's on the left side lined up against you know Kalevin Shasan, am I worried? Yeah, probably. Um, but am I worried against him going up against Kansas State? No, like no, not at all. Yeah, I just I'm I'm not worried at all, not even in the least bit. I. I put anybody out there like they're it'll be fine i i think a lot of the first part of the last year sure like maybe the offensive line didn't play great i don't know i i also think the running but it was mostly on the running backs and i stand by that i think the running backs weren't very good i think they made it the, made it look a lot maybe look the, uh, look a lot worse than they were uh the offensive line looked a lot better when Ramondre stevenson was in there so i i don't know i mean it again i don't know much about it i don't plays don't stand out in my mind like when you say i oh i i've seen this guy get beat a lot i just i guess i just don't have a good memory with that because i just I don't have any sort of thoughts of like, oh man, I, I I definitely remember Tyrese Robinson having a bad game that day, or Marquise Hay. It's just it just all kind of blends together for me. Uh, and I suppose if something's really bad, then I would go back and watch it. But just nothing's really stood out to me like that. I mean, like whenever I was watching the stuff early in the year last year, and we would point out like, oh, there's a hole there, and Seth McGowan's not seeing it, or there's a hole there, and T.J. Pledger's not hitting it. Ah, uh, I mean. What else are they supposed to do? And I thought they kept Spencer Rattler clean most of the time. I mean, I don't know. So that's just why I... Maybe it's different. I mean, like when I, you know, I think when everyone, when everyone watches football, a lot of people just watch it differently from, from person to person. And on, on a play-by-play basis, I'm pretty much always watching the offensive line. That's, that's where my eyes are because you can usually tell if the play is going to break down or be successful pretty early on by, what, by how the offensive line, you know, starts the play. So that's typically what I'm looking at. Um, so I guess, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I, especially in the first half of last season, I just noticed, especially on the right side with Robinson, there was quite a bit more push um, on that side a lot of the time. It wasn't always. A majority of the time, a, a majority of the time, all you know, these guys uh, get to their assignments a majority of the time anyway. Of, of course, the bad times are going to stick out in our head more. Just that's how we're wired as humans. Um, but it's not, it's, you know, it's, I, I I don't know where we're going with this now. Um, the offensive line is I I, I think is going to be fine, health withstanding. I think the offensive line is going to be good as long as they stay healthy. They're going to get better as the season goes along. 
Um, that has just that has just always been the trend of Bill Biedenboe offensive lines, and ever since Biedenboe has been here, they've they've just never been bad on the offensive line. Uh, relative to college football, they've always been really good, and in some years they've been elite to excellent. And you know we're. I don't think the offensive line needs to be elite or excellent to win a national championship. I really don't. Clemson has two of them with, with offensive lines that, that weren't better than OU's the last five or six years. So, you know, it just, I don't know. I, I think you can mask a, an offensive line a lot more than you can mask like a bad secondary or a bad defensive line. Just look at that. Look at that uh, discussion we had after that one sentence from Lincoln Riley. That probably didn't mean anything. <laughs> you got to love that. That's what professional podcasters do. The last thing I have on Lincoln Riley is the scariest dude on the team, man. I mean, when I say scariest dude on the team, it, there's one obvious answer, right? I'm asking you a question. Oh, Winfrey? Yeah. Oh, man. Super scary, man. Big dude coming after your quarterback. Well, it turns out he's like one of the most beloved players on the team. and Everybody loves him. <laughs> Which is obviously not surprising, but uh, yeah, I just was like, oh, this this big dude that's uh, that's super scary to opponents. Like, oh, I mean, all the players in that locker room adore this guy. And he's turned into more of a leader too, and it's because he's improved a lot. And so uh, that's a quick aside. I but, remember, uh, uh, yeah, I seem to remember last last summer during fall camp, sort of uh, one of the themes that Riley had was about leadership. He was challenging the team. You know, we we need leaders to step up. I I vaguely remember that. Um, and it, it kind of seems like that's not an issue this season. In fact, I've, I've, I've heard them even mention leadership has been good throughout fall camp. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's really nice to hear that about Winfrey. Um, a spot, man, especially a guy who is there in the trenches as, as a leader. I think that's really, really valuable because, you know, I mean, that guy is, he's, his job up there is violent, man. He's, he is in the crap. And, uh, I think it's really valuable to have a guy like that as a leader, um, a, a, a big physical presence like that. Yeah, it's it's funny you mention that because one of the last things Riley said when he was talking about Perrion Winfrey as a leader, he said, you know, they can kind of come from all different places, all different position groups, all different shapes and sizes, but it just feels different when it's a big guy like that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's kind of interesting. I haven't heard, I haven't really heard that before. But I mean, it it does. It seems like they have two really good you know leaders on the defensive line with Winfrey and then you know Isaiah Thomas emerged as a leader last season. Um, and that's, I mean, that's excellent. That's great. Um, and we know, I mean, we know how veteran the linebackers are. So you would, you would hope, you know, Caleb Kelly is maybe a leader. I would, you would hope that Brian Osamo and Igwebu can kind of step up and, and be a leader in that room as well. And then we know, you know, we know Pat Fields is in the other, is in the other, uh, is in the DB room as well. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I, I don't think this, this team at all is, is missing defensive leaders I, I think there's a lot of a lot of guys there and there's a lot of candidates to turn into one too all right let's keep on the defensive theme and talk about your main man Danny Stutzman Grant which I honestly had never heard of until last week but apparently he's getting a lot of pub I, I guess he's I geez I I can't believe this but I guess OU is like is has the next Brian Urlacher on their team I guess I don't know well, speaking of Brian Urlacher, I have a soundbite from Brian Odom, who looks a lot like Brian Urlacher. If Brian Urlacher had hair, uh, Brian Urlacher, by the way, does wait. He might have hair again. I can't remember. He has hair Sometimes now. He, does. he had yeah, hair so. during his Hall of Fame induction. Okay. I thought it was weird. Yeah. yeah, he never had it with the Bears, and then he yeah he grew it grew uh, he grows it out now. Yeah. Anyways, 
uh, one of my favorite, probably my favorite Bears player ever. I love Brian Urlacher. But uh, anyways, uh, he's not playing for the Sooners this year. Or is he? Danny Stutzman could be the next one. That's that's not nobody's saying that. But here's here's Brian Odom, though, on Danny Stutzman. You kind of hold off on all the expectations till he gets here. And then you see him and it's like, oh, man, good looking dude. You know, he's big and uh, he's 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 uh, he's got some muscle on him. Um, the thing you start seeing right now is his his uh, willingness and um, he plays fearless. Man, he's a, he's a willing guy. He'll, he'll run around. He runs fast. He he pursues to the ball. He's got closing speed. Um, he's done a great job of absorbing the defense and being able to play Mike and Will, which you know that provides him an opportunity to get on the field. Um, so, uh, to to say the least, I'm extremely excited about Danny. I'm I'm. To say the least, I'm extremely excited about his future here at the University of Oklahoma. So that's Brian Odom on Danny Stutzman. And he had a follow-up question asked to him about how Stutzman, I guess, was not heavily recruited. Because I believe he was a at least one service. He was a three-star. I'm not sure if he was a four-star. He's a three-star in Rivals. Okay. And Odom was like, yeah, I, I know what you're asking. But, like, honestly, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> He's like, I, oh, yeah. I, I like this that's, guy a that's lot. That's nice so. to hear. He's like, yeah, yeah. Like, this- yeah they, they, um, if, if if you go watch his his high school tape, um, it, it, in my eyes, it's pretty clear why he wasn't super highly recruited. Go look at the guys he's playing against. I mean, it's he's he's got to be playing at a really low level in Florida. Uh, he's just he he just towers over everybody. Like, I mean, uh, it's it's crazy. Interesting. Well, yeah, I guess there's. So we've heard about all this depth at defensive line on the edge. And in, in a lot of ways, it's at least in the cornerback room, we'll talk about that in a little bit, not necessarily safety, but I suppose linebacker, there's a lot of depth there as well. And it's, it's almost, it's kind of like surprising. And especially if a guy like Danny Stutzman could potentially get snapped. I don't know. I mean, because, you know, Shane Witter was the big name in spring and he's, I guess, still, he's still there. And not to mention I the feel three like, veterans, Deshaun yeah, White, like Ogwebu, the and Osmoa. Stutzman hype has been just way, way, way more than, than Shane Witter, I feel like. yeah. Maybe I, I'm just too, too deep in the moment. Well, Witter was talked up a lot in the spring, but yeah, he... Granted, it's only been a week and a half, so there hasn't been a whole lot of availabilities, but um, I've heard a lot of Stutzman, maybe it's because he's the new thing. He's the new shiny toy because he wasn't there during the spring. Uh, so good stuff there from Brian Odom. Got anything else you want to add there on Stutzman? Your uh, no, boy I mean, Danny Steele. I mean, I, I, I don't know how he's how he's not going to play this year. It's typically when there's smoke, there's fire. I mean, last uh, the the big name in fall camp last year was Marvin Mims. Um, I mean, it's he's if there's smoke, there's fire. He's he's going to play, and and the same goes with Latrell McCutcheon and Billy Bowman. I think those are going to be the three freshmen we see the most of. Let's go over to the offensive side of the football. DeMarco Murray talked, and a big question mark is how quickly is Trey Bradford going to be able to pick up the offense and, and be a contributor behind Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray, and then you got Marcus Major in that room as well. And DeMarco Murray was asked about that, and the first thing he mentioned about Trey Bradford was his speed. So I'm interested to see how fast this guy is. Uh, he also mentioned that you know, he's going to play this year. He said, oh, yeah, he, if, he wouldn't be here if he wasn't going to play this year. Like, he wouldn't be here. So he's obviously good enough. We all knew that. Uh, 
He expects him to be a versatile type player, but the hangup right now, as you all might expect, is that he's only been with Oklahoma for two months and he's still picking up the offense. So I would say maybe temper your early expectations for Trey Bradford. I, I guess as a running back, you know, people pick things up quicker and slower than others. I, I would say, though, they can always, you know, going into week one or week two, if anybody that they think is talented and they think, okay, this guy can help us, they can always bring him in for a handful of predetermined plays that he knows. And Mikey Henderson. Him, that's exactly the, the guy I was thinking of. Just think back to Mikey Henderson before, before he uh, was booted from the team. Man, I just what a what an annoying loss. Like, I mean, this running back room with it, with him, the fifth guy. I mean, I don't know if Trey Bradford comes to OU. I guess if Henderson does get kicked kicked off, though, probably not. Probably not. Uh, who knows? That's speculation. So that's. That was the most interesting thing out of DeMarco Murray was uh, about Trey Bradford. Oh, actually, no, that's not true at all. That was the second most interesting thing. This was a late addition to the rundown. And I didn't pull this sound, but DeMarco Murray called Creed Humphrey. He was asked about Creed Humphrey. So kudos to, I think, Jenny Carlson asked about Creed Humphrey. I didn't see that coming just because, obviously, Creed's in the NFL now and he was a, a lineman. But, you know, Jenny wanted to know about Creed Humphrey and kind of the way, what DeMarco thinks. And we got some really interesting information DeMarco Murray said that he thinks Creed Humphrey is the third most athletic offensive lineman he's ever seen. And he's played at Oklahoma, and he played in the NFL with the Cowboys for whatever that was, six or seven years. Was there a follow-up? Who, who, who were the other two? The other two are, he named them, and they were teammates of DeMarco with the Cowboys. He said Travis Frederick, who... Zach Martin. Yes, and Zach Martin, who is still playing. Yeah, for a second, I, my first thought was he was going to say Trent Williams, um, but guess not. No, two, uh, two of his Cowboys teammates, and I believe Frederick was the center for the Cowboys during those years when DeMarco was there. So, uh, and obviously, Zach Martin's been with the, the Cowboys for a while as well. Uh, both of those guys, first-round draft picks. Creed was a, what, second? Was he late second round? Early second? I can't remember anymore. I think it was late, late second, second round. round. Yeah, yeah, he was late second round. So, man, what a, that's great praise for Creed Humphrey. Wow, I hadn't heard that yet. Third most athletic offensive lineman. Uh, okay. Other than that, nothing else from DeMarco Murray really stood out to me. So that brings us to Roy Manning. And Roy Manning was asked about Justin Harrington. He's the, like, like there's so many question marks around this guy because we were hoping that he'd be available last year to play in the back end, right, to help out in the safety room. But he got hurt. Well, it turns out uh, what we were all thinking about Justin Harrington the entire time was is all been totally wrong. And so I want to play this exchange from the press conference on Tuesday. And Myron Patton is going to be the first voice you hear from Fox or in Oklahoma City asking the question. And from there, we get some some information on Justin Harrington. that I, I, I don't know. Maybe this is out there, but I hadn't heard this for sure yet. And I found it to be pretty interesting. Is Justin Harrington a corner of safety? Yeah. <laughs> Good question. Uh, walk, walking through the door, you probably could uh, mistake him for a lot of different positions because he's, you know, he's, he's 6'3", probably 212 pounds, which is on the lighter end for him, but I keep his weight down. But he's been corner. He's been corner exclusively since he's been here from day one. He's been a corner 
you know, we knew he had size potential. We knew he was an extremely fast, fast guy. And so we started him out at corner. Unfortunate for him, he got hurt uh, a couple days into his campaign last year. So uh, there went that uh, experience for him. But, you know, he learned what it's like to sit on the sideline and, and uh, that love for football. And he's been a guy that I think through this first uh, eight or ten days at camp has really flashed. Um, he's really been uh, exciting to watch uh, for me as a coach, but for him personally, I know he's been, you know, sitting around waiting for a year to get back out there. And so he's a corner. He's a corner all the way and he's done a really, really good job. So excited about him and, and what he's going to do for us this season. So I don't know if you heard the beginning, Grant, because the, the technology oh, I heard you it. have right Okay. I so heard I, it. This is a, I really think this is a very, very good time. To remind everybody that you should not trust a single word that comes out of the mouths of OU's coaching staff in the preseason. And the way that he started answering that question, he had to think about it. What do you mean? What are you talking about? I, he, he said, so somebody asked, is he a corner or is he a safety? And then he paused and he said, ah, he said, good question. No, 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 no. See, that's. That, that that's what I, I wasn't sure that came across to you in our in our technological thing. No, so what it was is is he a corner or a safety? And Roy Manning said, Yeah. As in like it's a joke because he looks like a safety and he can probably play both. So that's because like he knows that that's the thing, is like, oh, everyone thinks he's a safety, but no, actually he's a corner. So no, it was like a joke. And then he went and said, He's played corner the entire time. So are you insinuating that Roy Manning is lying right to our face that he has not been a corner the entire time how dare you make that um, accusation no i like I, I don't think that's likely <laughs> although it wouldn't it wouldn't be super unprecedented like no, I, mean, I mean it's and take take you know if I, I know coach lincoln riley loves this podcast i'm sure and, and listens every single episode so coach if you're listening take this in the spirit with which it's intended of all the coaches that I would assume or expect to kind of lie right to our face. It'd be Lincoln Riley, not necessarily the assistant coaches. And again, coach, please take that in the spirit with, with which it's intended. <laughs> I get that you have a job and sometimes you don't need to be forthright with, with everything to the media. I get it. Uh, that's, that's not necessarily a dig on you. It's more of a, uh, you know, you're the head guy. You, you're, you have a, a, a standard to set. Whereas I don't know if, if I know enough about, Roy Manning yet to where I, I think he would just so brazenly say, oh, yeah, he's always been a corner, but actually, no, he hasn't. He's been he's he's actually played safety, but I don't know. <laughs> no, uh, I guess I, I guess in this. OK, let me this is this is not a thing. Yes, I ninety nine point nine percent. Justin Harrington is a corner. I like this is because now that I'm running it through in my head, it sounds so conspiratorial and stupid because like, I, yeah, I mean, like they have an actual like planned thing to to deceive everybody and then he just comes out at safety in the first game and it's like roy williams Whoa. like that would be the that would be the only reason they would do that right <laughs> so that leads me to believe to really throw what i just ran through loop. is not is, is just not likely at all so i i yeah i i guess i did not know and maybe again maybe it's been out there maybe it hasn't i I would not have guessed that he's been cornered the entire time. And I think that's pretty interesting because he's so big and so long. And apparently he's pretty fast. Like that is the prototypical, like what every NFL guy would love out of the corner. That's like a Richard Sherman type, you know, big, long, strong and bully people. And so if he's looking really good in camp 
And we know Oklahoma already has two really what we expect to be really good corners in Woody Washington and DJ Graham. And then they have depth with Jaden Davis. And he was asked... Latrell McCutcheon, too. Well, yes. And so, um, on that same note, uh, Myron asked a follow-up and said, hey, how, how many corners are you, do you want to play this year? And Coach Manning said, at a minimum, he wants to play four, but he's shooting for five because they have the numbers to do that. And so it got me thinking, all right, they're shooting for five. Woody Washington, DJ Graham, Jaden Davis is the three obvious three. So, okay, so there's then two more. Is it is it Harrington? Probably. I mean, it sounds like he's doing pretty well. Who's the fifth? Is it McCutcheon? What about uh, where does Joshua Eaton fall in this? Because I feel like Joshua Eaton would have been somebody that I would have been like, oh, yeah, I can see that guy getting snaps. Or is he the sixth guy that maybe has kind of fallen behind in that cornerback room that's when Roy Manning says five, it's like, eh, maybe he's, you know, like, I don't know, because he's like another one of those guys with that prototypical length, size that we were kind of looking for in a corner. So, again, this is another example of a statement by a coach and us going really deep into it on a podcast. But he put a number out there. And I looked at the cornerbacks in the room, and I was kind of wondering who were the five and who's the guy left out. So I don't know. We'll I mean, we'll find I, out. I, yeah, we'll find out. I, I think it's a pretty pretty good bet to say it's Washington, Graham, Harrington, McCutcheon, and Davis. I think that's a pretty good bet. Yeah, and Manning called McCutcheon a special talent today. Uh, he's, you know, so he's been doing well in camp. So yeah, I mean that's probably a pretty good bet. I, I agree. I am. Um, well, let's let, let's talk about this. Um, I know uh, you don't frequent message boards and stuff like this. Um, that this is a, this is a, a pretty a pretty large topic of conversation right now. Um, people are confused because OU kind of they, they do have some pretty good depth at corner. I mean, behind uh, having Jaden Davis behind uh, Washington and Graham is is kind of a luxury that they have. And then we've heard a lot of good things about McCutcheon. And where they don't have a lot of proven depth is at safety. And so everybody just kind of assumed. Justin Harrington is the prototypical size of like exactly what you want out of the safety. And I think everybody just assumed that would happen. Um, but what I like, what I want to pose to you, Lee, is it more important? Do you think it would be more important to have two really good shutdown corners or even four or five than it would be, you know, to have that on the back end as safeties? Cause I can, I can kind of talk myself into, I mean, if you can if you can erase both of the outside receivers, I mean, you're taking away a lot of the field there already. Um, but I, I just the numbers game is is kind of weird. If Justin Harrington is good enough right now to play corner, I think the logic goes well. I mean, why can't he play nickel or safety wherever? So it, it's kind of interesting to me. I, I don't you know I don't really know what they're doing there. Yeah, that's a good question. In my experiences, and I know this is. This is not what a lot of coaches think. So I could be wrong about this. I just, you know, <laughs> playing at the high school level, man, I, I found safety to be more difficult than corner because you have a lot more space to cover. Uh, and so, yeah, I, so my, my oh, yeah, thing is... No doubt it, it's harder. No, but, but a lot of people will tell you that, no, no, corner, that's like, oh, that, that guy can't cut it a corner. Let's move him to safety because that's, that's not as taxing or whatever. And, it, and I, again, I'm not, I'm sure there's plenty of, Maybe that's maybe that's right. Maybe I'm wrong. I I just being in charge of like 
a half of the field or like just a guy. I get it. You have to be able to stick with guys play man coverage. And that's that's probably what they mean by they can't cut it. Maybe they, they're not athletic enough to stay with people one on one and therefore put them at safety. There's there's less chances of being covered up man on man. And therefore, maybe you can play that. And I get that. I, I just I found I found playing safety and being responsible for the deep guy and like not letting anybody get behind me to be a lot more stressful than being like, all right, I'm here. I get to cover this guy. I'm either playing and you know, Alex Grinch, they play a lot of man. I get it. I didn't play as much man in high school. So granted, maybe I would have thought differently if I was tasked with playing a bunch of man and I sucked at it. Uh, I mean, when I did play man at that level, I thought I was pretty good. It was fine. Doesn't matter. Point being with Justin Harrington, maybe it's like they brought him in, put him at corner right away. And in their head, they think like he can play corner, but it's, it's like my thought process, like where it's like safety actually for him is not his strength. But then again, didn't he play safety in junior college or did I imagine? I that? believe so. Yes. I think he played that. So. so it's, it's a good question. I, and I'll the, put, put the premise I mean, is, yeah. I was going to say, they, I was going to say the there's been history of them. There's been history of them shifting people th- during a season as well, if they need to. So let's say we get to the season. Trajan and- Bridges played safety in 2019. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they're not like they're not scared of moving guys around. Like they're yeah. they're not scared of putting a guy out there who doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, with a big lead, of course. I mean, I think that was in the Texas Tech game. They were up by like a thousand. But um, I don't know. I, I think. Uh, the general logic is right. You know, they they have quite a bit of reserves at corner, and they need a lot more help at safety. So the logic is, why don't you move this uber talented, this athletic big dude to safety, where we need a lot of help? Um, but you're right; it it doesn't. You know, real world, it doesn't really work out as cleanly as that. And we'll see. I mean, people are going to get hurt. People are going to stuff is going to shuffle around. Um, we're all just we're we're all just anxious for the season to start. That's what it is. Um, and we're, we're excited to see this guy play, too. I think a, a, a part of it is, yeah, I'm kind of disappointed because we figured this guy's going to step in at safety and we're going to see him right away. And there's sort of a logjam at corner. I think people are a little, a little disappointed that he's not going to be a premier player. At least it doesn't really look like it based on the numbers. Yeah, it definitely. It makes you think with the safety depth or maybe, you know, it's, it's a lot more depth at corner, it seems like right now. It, it definitely makes you think a lot about Bryson Washington and Jordan Mukes and thinking, uh, where are they? Can they step in? And to add to your conspiracy, uh, your conspiracy theory about Harrington and his position, I will say on the current Oklahoma website, and I did get a roster today at, at practice. I left it at News 9, so I don't have it with me. So I'm not sure if the roster I got today is more updated than the roster online. But uh, online roster, Justin Harrington is, is listed as a defensive back, not a cornerback. So... Dun, 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 whatever the, the and, X-Files music. And, Al- and Alex Grinch, when, when asked, has said, has, has left the door open for it too. So, um, and you know, he's, he's the safeties coach as well. So maybe that's, maybe there's a bit of kind of like friendly rivalry between him and me. And I, I want him. No, I want him types of, but yeah. Grinch is the boss. So that, that wouldn't be a thing. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. I, it's, it's a good problem to have, I guess. It's just I, you know, going into this season, I think a lot of people would be disappointed, right? If if they roll out Pat Fields and DTY, um, again, which, and I and I'm saying like I I think it's pretty clear that Key Lawrence is is going to be one of the guys there that we see a lot. 
And then the fourth guy, I don't know. I think like, I think it's almost certainly going to be Justin Broyles. Um, that's, you know, you heard about him a lot in the spring. A lot of guys kind of brought him up unprompted as well. Um, I don't know. I, I think, uh, I think it's fair maybe to feel a little skittish if they are indeed going to go into that first game with those being the four. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I feel good about DTY, especially in the box. Uh, you know, he can leave some things to be desired in pass coverage sometimes, which is kind of a big deal. So, um, we'll see. I don't know. Safety definitely still very much a question mark. I, I think, I, I think right now, if I had to pick one position where that's the biggest one, it's, it's, it, that's, that's what it is right now. I think it's the safety position. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. I'm with you on that. And by the way, we do have some questions from Facebook we we're going to try to get to. Uh, Chase, I saw your comment and questions on Facebook. I think we about covered it there because you were asking about Justin Harrington and playing corner and safety and whatnot. So uh, hopefully that answered your question from Facebook. But we'll get to the other ones here in a little bit. Let's see. What's next up on the rundown here, Grant? That's all the notes I had from the press conference today, all the different coaches that talked i think i think that's about it until we get to the facebook questions huh yeah i mean unless i mean do you want to oh that's right the other stuff is more national um yeah 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 so yeah let's let's get so we got about i got about 15 minutes before i got to blaze out of here so let's 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 get through these all right some more facebook questions let's go to philip longtime listener of west of everest thanks for putting this question and comment in here philip he says is losing commits becoming a trend? Another question. Actually, I'll, I'll go one at a time. Uh, I am unaware of what he's referencing. I'm assuming did Oklahoma lose a commit recently? Yeah, uh, Luther Burden decommitted today, the number one receiver in the 2022 class, um, five-star guy. And so they've lost um, just in the last, oh, geez, three or four months, they've lost all three of their committed receivers in the 2022 class, all of whom are, are, are big-time blue chippers. Um, so yeah, they lost, they lost Luther Burden, uh, Talon Shetron who, and, and you know, that, that's, that, that one is just going to happen. I mean, he's going to Oklahoma state to be with his brother that that's going to happen, whatever. And then they lost Jordan Hudson as well. And he's going to SMU. So that doesn't really bother me that much either. Um, and, and it, the conventional wisdom is that Luther Burden is going to go to Missouri. So I think when people see, oh yeah, oh, you lost, you know, three big time receivers to SMU, Missouri, uh, and Oklahoma State, like that's a huge problem. Honestly, I kind of look at it the other way. It would be much bigger of a problem if they're losing them to Georgia, Alabama, and Florida. Um, I, them going to SMU, Missouri, and Oklahoma State suggests to me that it's just it's just deeper than all of that. We yeah. know Taylor Shetron is going to Oklahoma State for family. I don't know why anyone would turn down a scholarship offer from Oklahoma to go to SMU unless you had some sort of. Uh, emotional connection with the area or or someone who is there and of course luther burden is from st louis so it was always going to be you know it was always going to be tough to, to you know to pull him away from mizzou so yeah you know i it's it's not great the receiver position in this upcoming class doesn't look great right now because they don't have any committed and there aren't really any out there that um there's not really any offers that have been thrown out there either so what he's, he's people are concerned because they are starting from scratch at the receiver position here. Um, and yeah, Brady had a <laughs> Brady Trantham, our friend, had a, had a comment on Facebook too, saying he doesn't care about uh, losing wide receivers at OU. 
I'm 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 kind of closer to his camp here. Um, I just I'm not really that concerned about it. Um, when when you got guys like Marquise Brown coming out of JUCO and then turn into first round picks, OU has a track record here uh, that's pretty long and and is pretty good right now. And especially, I mean, they're and um, expecting to have a monster receiver class for 2023 as well. And for all we know, that could be a big part of this too. Knowing that Brandon Ennis, the number one receiver in the 2023 class, is very much favored to to come to Oklahoma. They already had you know Makai Lemon uh, already committed as well. Relique Brown is in the 2022 class. He's a five star guy. Uh, you know it's it sucks. I wish Luther Burden and Shetron and Hudson would have been here. Uh, but I, I think they're going to be able to find guys to be, to be difference makers at receiver, whether or not that be new high school guys from 2022 or guys in the portal. Uh, because from, from now on the portal is going to be a, a, a is going to have a bunch of great players in it. That that's just good. As long as there is, as long as there is not the one year sabbatical that you have to sit out, the portal is going to be full of really good players every off season. I, I going forward. I think that's pretty clear. I did not anticipate. But also, but also, you know, you're having, you know, having the portal as your only plan is probably not great, but that's probably not their only plan. I'm sure they're 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 going to evaluate and find some other guys. I did not anticipate that question being uh, being answered that uh, in detail. So um, I have nothing else to add to that because, uh, yeah, I, I'm more on with you. I, I say I have nothing to add, and then I'm going to add something. I, I I'm more with you. Losing out to those schools you mentioned, it, it suggests there's something else going on. SMU, suggests there's an emotional thing going on. Well, uh, like, or something, yeah. Well, Missouri, sure. I, I don't know where the kid going to SMU is from. My first thought with SMU is they need to start. That school can do a lot of great stuff with NIL, probably. I mean, you're in Dallas. I don't know if that's factoring in, but that could be a great start for I think SMU. Jordan Hudson I mean, is from DFW. I, I think okay. he's from DFW. Okay, so if it's close by too, there you go. Um, and then also, yeah, I'm I'm more with uh, with Brady as well. I'm uh, yes, recruiting is the lifeblood of programs, and Oklahoma needs to get great recruits. But man, Oklahoma has had no issues getting offensive guys. Have no issues getting wide receivers specifically. Uh, yeah, you lose out on on the five star defensive lineman or linebacker or secondary player. Like that that's what's where I'm, I'm going to kind of raise my eyebrows a little bit and think, ah, oh, man, that that could have helped. Um, so there, there's that. So it does, you know, I for me, the one that stings the most out of those three is, is Taylor Shetron, just because he's he's an Oklahoma guy, and it's just it's not you don't you, you're kind of shaking your head. Yeah, you don't think he's that special? I don't. I mean, I, I said I didn't watch. I don't know. I mean, I didn't watch. I, he went to, to he went there because of his his brother, and I don't know. I mean, I. He I mean, OU is down the road, o- and hey, he's, he's OU a really hasn't good kid, gotten the top guy in Oklahoma for I don't I don't know how many consecutive recruiting classes. Now. He's a top guy. That's in Oklahoma? not good. Huh. Yeah, Shetron is for the 2022 class, or is it Gentry Williams? I don't know. I don't know. Good stuff. Great segment there. Uh, Philip has another question. He says, "Is Jalen Redmond gonna gonna start or play?" Uh, yeah, I th- I think he's starting. I think he's a starting defensive tackle right there with Perion. I think that's kind of what the thought process is right now. Does that sound about right to you? I think that's what it'll be by by the midpoint of the season. I think it's going to be Ellison to start. 
Ellison? Okay. See, uh, yes, he's going to play. And, and here's the thing that I would say, Phillip, with anybody on the defensive line, it doesn't matter who starts. If you're good, you're going to play. And all the guys are going to play a bunch. Like, that's the thing with, with football that's cool. It's like, yeah, you start, but then you can be taken out after the first play and somebody else can come in. And you can go, it's not like baseball where if you start, you get taken out, you're out for the entire game. I guess same with basketball, too. You can come back in. So I, whoever starts isn't really, at least at that position group, like you assume it's going to be Perry on Winfrey and like some of your – but that's because they have so much depth, so it's fine. Uh, so yeah, I, I, he's gonna play, and as, you know, as long as he's healthy, hopefully he stays healthy. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's starting at some point, and maybe even right away. Honestly, we'll see. Uh, okay, more questions from Philip: Is Oklahoma's secondary actually a strength, or just competent enough to not be a huge weakness? I kind of think maybe we should tackle this one in our preview next week. This okay. is a really good question. Because yeah. I've actually, because this this sort of uh, you know this this resonates with me, because I've kind of had I, I've had a bit of a crisis of confidence in that as well, um, and I just I'm just going back. The secondary didn't play very well against Florida in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, they made some big plays, but there were way too many guys running running open in that game. Um, you know we've 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 yeah, seen flashes like within the within the structure of the defense. It wasn't really that big of a deal. It's yeah, like, exactly. It's I like mean, there was guys like burning people deep, and they were like waving their arms. And Emory, Emory Jones, that's his name, Emory, uh, whatever the Florida quarterback was, like just not seeing them. That wasn't happening. It was they were completing stuff underneath, and uh, you know, just kind of what Oklahoma gives up from time to time. A lot of so. stuff over the middle. They got a lot of stuff over the middle in that game. Um, but no, I, 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 I do. I want to put a bookmark in that question, um, just because you know we. We think we really like DJ Graham. We, we've seen enough of Woody Washington to know that he is at at worst going to be a quality player for them. Um, we've seen a lot of really fun athletic flashes from DJ Graham, and I love him. Um, but I think it's I, I think it's totally fair to still be skeptical. You know, there's there's kind of that PTSD there. Um, but also, I think we need to keep in mind that football in in 2021 has totally changed in like a national championship scenario. OU is going to give up a bunch of yards between the twenties. It's it's all about forcing field goals. That like that's what it's about. That's how Clemson has won their national titles. Uh, it's you know people are going to be able to move the ball between the twenties. There's going to be NFL guys that they're going to go up against in the playoff if they're there. Knock on wood. So um, what you need is those big spectacular splash plays, and I'm glad that we've seen flashes from both of those guys. Yeah, we didn't talk much about it last week. Because DJ Graham talked and I was distracted. I listened to it, but you know I was going a million miles an hour and couldn't really get my thoughts together. I went back and re-listened to his press conference, and uh, I I'm starting to come more towards where your thoughts are with DJ Graham. I love that guy. He he gets it, man, and he's gonna. I think he's gonna be really good. And I also think Woody. I mean, he said that he he like mimics his game off of Woody Washington, his teammate. So what does that say about Woody Washington? And I know I've heard kind of behind the scenes going back to last year in the spring that like a big, you know, important people within the Oklahoma program think Woody Washington is like a star is like, or a potential type of star corner, which, you know, when you see DJ Graham and some of the highlight stuff he made last year, you think, oh, maybe he's kind of that guy. And you've talked about how you think he's going to be a first round draft pick. I mean, what, I mean, Woody Washington could be a guy that's that's even even better. He, he's kind of been kind of under the radar a little bit more. 
So I'm I'm really excited about that duo. But at the same time, though, like we talked about a little bit earlier, yeah, like you hear, like Harrington, you know, you want to see Justin Harrington play. Is he going to be impeded by that? Yeah, I want to see Jaden Davis get more get more playing time. I mean, he's he's a veteran. He's a good player. Uh, but yeah, we'll save that question for later. It is a good question. Um, and Philip has one more question for us from the Facebook page. When will you guys get to predictions next week, Philip? <laughs> oh, next week you're gonna get those predictions. Uh, and I will say just real quick before we move on to the last thing, I know I'm looking at the West of Everest Facebook page right now. I see Harry, you've commented. Uh, not gonna have time to make any comments on your questions, Harry. But it looks like you have a couple of things that we're gonna probably get to in the big season preview and down the line. So we'll hopefully can cover your stuff later on. Uh, lastly, Grant, do you want to go over some uh, news and notes for more national stuff and kind of more, I guess not, it's national-ish, but also OU? You know, I, I, this is probably something else that we can go deeper in next week when we, when we talk about national stuff. Uh, but OU, uh, the AP poll came out on Monday. OU's number two. Uh, I think that's, you predicted that. I believe on, uh, on somebody last on this podcast uh, said yeah. that that was going to be the case. Yeah. And so, um, I don't know why I was a tad surprised by that, but I was. And so, I mean, I think that uh, that sort of confirms, right? There's a there's at least a significant portion of the media that's sort of buying into them, buying into that hype. Uh, I, I I think it's I think that's significant because they're above Clemson, um, and Clemson has the track record. So um, cool. I mean, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean a single thing at all. Them being number two, uh, but thought that was kind of fun. And how about just it's just still weird seeing it. Iowa State in the top ten in the preseason is just is just bizarre, <laughs> is it not? Like number seven, number seven. And and on that note, uh, the Athletic, which is you know I mean every Athletic, that's kind of the big sports rag now behind ESPN. Uh, they came out with their All American teams on Monday. There were four Iowa State players on their All American teams: three first teamers and then one second teamer. And as I was reading that yesterday. My first thought, and I'll go into way more, way more detail of this next week. The Iowa State um, momentum has gotten way out of control. There's no way. There's no way they're not. There. There's no way they're not going to lose four or five games this year. I, I just. <laughs> it's. It's gotten. It's gotten way Man, out. Man, that's a bold take. That's a bold take. They won. They, they won a bunch of close games last season. Brock Purdy is a walking, talking turnover. Uh, they th- that's a team that could come back to earth pretty hard this year everyone like all of their super seniors coming back for one last ride it's setting up for a really disappointing year for iowa state they play uh, they yeah. play maybe the best defense in college football in week two ah, i <laughs> i i just are you referencing just, I'm not iowa by. as one of the best defenses in college football yeah oh god uh no. I mean, that's not crazy. Iowa, Iowa consistently puts defensive players in the NFL. Consistently. I'm not sure if I was supposed to be much this year. I have my notes. I, I, I've done my research. I've got to bring that up. Uh, good thing I've done and that were, for the next break season preview. They were, they were great on defense in like the six or seven games they played last year, and everyone's back. Everyone's back for Iowa on defense? I mean, mostly, yeah. And they're also they're uh, um, I think in in the preseason SP plus they're the number one defense uh, preseason SP plus as well. They're, they're either one or two. It's Wisconsin and Iowa are one and two. I can't remember what order it is. Hmm. Yeah. The thing is though that the yeah they 
I'm looking at my notes. I, I, I've been doing some research. Yeah, so they, they return a lot of guys. They have a lot of people in the trenches. The thing with Iowa that makes their defense look better is because they play, they play nobody. Iowa State's going to be the best offense they see probably all year. I, I think that's, that's, that's probably very hyperbolic. I don't, I don't think that's, that's the case. The only, I, I would, the only other probably, option would be Penn State. No, nah, I think Wisconsin. Wisconsin is an option there. Let's see. I am, yeah. I, I, mm. I don't know. It depends Wisconsin on how good Graham, has the track record. Depends on if depends on if Graham Mertz is uh, the guy yep, that yep. that played in the the first game of his college career and then got COVID and missed like the next month, or if he's the guy that played the end of it where he was just very below average. Yep. Preview, uh, just a small preview to next week. You may be hearing a lot about Wisconsin from me next week. Just a little bit of a preview. Oh man, this is gonna be fun. Uh, okay, lastly, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. There's no OU players on the first team. Like it, this, it's like this athletic all American team was like trying to make a statement <laughs> with with that. I mean, but I mean, yeah, Spencer, it's almost like they were trying to get eyeballs. I mean, it's it's kind of a yeah. I mean, Spencer Rattler not being a the silly first team list. quarterback is is ridiculous. Uh, I, I mean, I, I like Sam Howell a lot, but I mean, I guess it's a, it's a, I think. It's a it's a personal preference, yeah. I suppose, for this writer. Yeah, it's uh, Bijan Robinson being on the first team. That's, you know, I like. I think Bijan Robinson is going to be really good. I, I just I don't understand how you can put him on there. He doesn't really have a track record. Um, like I, Kennedy Brooks has has much more of a claim to be a first team All American than Bijan Robinson does. And I'm not I'm not saying he should be. Um, I just thought that was kind of silly. Brees Hall, I think, is a no brainer. Uh, Brees Hall is the only person who should be on this list for Iowa State. Um, uh, Mike Rose is the other first teamer, and that's his. I mean, his overratedness is out of control as well, too. No, oh, I mean Charlie Kohler, he's there. That's fair. Uh, I, you know, yeah, maybe that's fair. I just the chances that there are there's a better tight end than Charlie Kohler in in the country. I like, I think are a hundred percent. There's just no way that he's the best tight end in the country. He's not a he's not a good enough athlete. He's 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 good at what he does, um, but I just if you have a guy big enough on defense who can match up with him, he's he's just not a guy who scares you. I don't think he's he's a chain mover. Yeah, but yeah, Rattler and Benito being left off of uh, the first team is is pretty dumb. Uh, I mean, I can see ben, I can see Perry Benito being is left the biggest. Off. Yeah, Benito's yeah, Benito is is by far the biggest uh, WTF there. Um, whatever. I mean, cool. I mean, hopefully there's uh, hopefully they see that. And hopefully it lights a fire. But they should they should already have enough motivation for this year. Man, I am ready to stop talking about all these lists and polls and just I want to talk about an actual game. Oh, I love it so much. And, and by oh, the gosh, way, yeah, I was gonna say by the way that I mean Oklahoma at two, Clemson at three. It's it's simple. Why it's because Oklahoma has Spencer Rattler and Clemson has a, a new quarterback, even though he's highly recruited and everyone thinks he's gonna be really good, DJ uh, Luga Lele or whatever have you pronounce his name. Luga Lele. I mean that's that's a tiebreaker. It's got to be because OU and Clemson each got the same amount of first place votes. I mean they were very close. It, like OU only beat him by a couple points. So uh, that's obviously the reason why. Let's see anything else going on. I think. Uh, yeah the uh, the corpse yeah. of Greg Eisworth was a second team All American. Oh, that poor guy. Uh, that poor guy, man. He's he was my one of my favorite players years ago. It just seems like he's just kind of there now. He he just is kind of there. 
And sometimes yeah, he not was, there. He was, sometimes he's injured. He was really, really excellent in 2018. Um, I just It feels like he has just gotten more injured and more injured every year. He just doesn't move very well. Okay, let's save all this Iowa State hate for the big season preview next week, Grant. Uh, all right. Yeah, that'll be a thing. So we're going to go down the list. We're going to predict all these different Oklahoma categories of like who's going to be the leading rusher, the receiver, all these, all these ridiculous things. And it's... You know, at the end of the season, we're going to go back and look at them, and we're going to give ourselves points for each one we got right and wrong. No, we're not going to do that. Uh, but it's going to be fun for you all, and then we're going to do our uh, our big college football across the nation. And uh, even though you guys listen to our podcast for Oklahoma stuff, uh, you know, we do watch college football outside of OU, and, and we'll try to make some predictions and stuff based on what we know going forward in the 2021 season. So uh, before we go, I will – pause and let you add anything else if you'd like to add anything else grant if not we can say goodbye i got nothing i'm right there with you i'm excited i want football to come all right well we'll see you next week for the big season preview by that time we'll be i guess less than two weeks away from oklahoma football oh by the way i'll be going to the first game of the year i'll be going to Tulane. so uh, oh i didn't know that cool yeah that'll be a interesting situation hopefully it's not too hot and hopefully there's no hurricanes in early september down that part of the country that would be that'd be a bummer would not be great uh anyways until uh, i guess until next time until next week for grant i am lee this is west of everest